by Alice of DefrostingColdCases.com, which people should go to her Wait, website. it's called DefrostingColdCases.com? And that's her personal website? That's her personal website, and she's got some really cool articles. Really? So now, is she trying to, like, solve cold cases, or is she bringing attention to cold cases? Bringing attention. I mean, ultimately, that's the goal is to her solve. Goal, yeah, is to solve them. Um, but she has a really great website. Okay. So I'll put a link in. Great. So she talks about how Gregory was riding his bicycle to Silver Creek Inn, where his car had broken down earlier that day. So his car breaks down. Supposedly, I guess he walks home. Okay. Gets whatever he needs, and now he's riding his bicycle back. On his way, he was fatally killed after being struck by a car. The police believe the vehicle was a 1980s Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, light blue in color. Wow. Gregory, so I take it there might have been a witness? Or there was enough debris left behind? So, yeah, I'm thinking that maybe that light blue transferred onto him when uh, he, he was hit. Okay, because that does happen. Yeah. Okay. And then... Um, and they could find from, like, broken headlights. They could tell what kind of car mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. And as we go on in the story, you'll see that, yes, you th- you would believe there was a witness to this. Okay. Um, you don't find, find they that don't, out they until don't way the later. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You'll see. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't give it away right now. Okay. Okay. Gregory's body was missing until January 4th, 1992. So... December 21st, 1991, all the way to January 4th, 1992, when it was discovered in a ditch on South Meridian Road. This case went cold, and in 2005, the family of Gregory received a letter postmarked in 2005 from Saginaw, Michigan. Wait, so someone in 2005 writes about the time they saw in 1991? In 2005, the person who supposedly hit him... (gasps) wrote the family in 2005 and mailed it from Saginaw, Michigan. Uh, Mm -hmm. The letter is written by someone claiming mm -hmm. that they were the person who killed Gregory that night. I thought it was like an eyewitness finally coming forward. You're like, no, it's the guilty party. Yeah, it's the guilty party. The letter talks about how Gregory was riding his bicycle in the lane that they were driving in. And when the driver seen Gregory, it was too late. The person goes on to write how they didn't stop and was counting on the cars behind him to stop and check on him. So obviously you would think there was somebody that's seen it. Well, are driving behind somebody. They hit a guy. Yeah. Well, when you you're going to hear it. Wait. First of all, he could be lying. And four, four, what if you're like six or seven car lengths back? Like he, he looks back and you just see some headlights. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. One time, though, I almost shit my pants when I used to work at the hospital and I would get there at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was always dark when I drove to work, no matter what time of the year. And I remember one time driving behind a tow truck, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a deer comes running across. Why well, the tow truck and I, because I'm right behind the tow truck, are already like actively driving. The deer just smashes head first into the side of the tow truck. <sighs> Dude, it devastated me. And then it got up and ran off. And everybody's like, it's fine. I'm like, it got, it ran yeah, off to fine. die. You 
don't yeah. understand it. That was major brain trauma. That was just his body responding to danger one last time before I died. Yeah. So right? like, yeah. I can't believe they said that. And the tow truck driver pulled over, but I didn't because he was in this giant tow truck and there was no visible damage on the body of his truck. And it didn't like knock him off the road or anything. And I was just like, oh. I always wondered, like, should I have pulled over? It was a deer, it not was a person. A deer, though. Not a person. Yeah, and I, I saw the deer safe. run away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was white tail. You could see the tail go. <laughs> so in the letter they also talk how this changed their changed their life, causing them agony for what they had done, doing drugs and drinking alcohol to get rid of the guilt they had over the situation. Uh-huh. The person ends the letter stating that if the parents wanted to respond to the letter, they should take up a personal ad in the Midland Daily newspaper and print the response. So, first, in our show notes and in the continuing conversation, I put a copy of the letter. Oh, that's interesting. Yep, so you guys can read it all. Do you think it looks like the handwriting of a boy or a girl? It's not handwritten, it's typed. Ah. And the other thing about it is I went trying going through old newspapers. Yeah. The Midland Daily News cuz I if somebody sent me a letter, I'm writing a response. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like they did and they didn't actually release the letter to the public until 2000. No, I can't remember. It's okay. It was recent. Okay. Yeah, well, it yeah, was recent. And they got the letter in 20, 2005, right? Yeah, so okay. it was recent. This is recent that they threw out the letter and said, hey, does anybody know? Okay. That's crazy. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting that, it, just so everybody knows, the statute of limitations is over. Okay. So technically, if he would come Wait, out. Wait, there, there's not one on murder, is there? Or is it? Would it be like involuntary manslaughter yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Uh, so that it's over. So technically, he can't come out and say, or she, and say, "Hey, it was me." Wow. Um. But I guess it was nice that they at least said something. Wrote a letter, and then now you know exactly how that actually happened. That's true. At least the knowing part. So. Okay, so the case that we saw together was mm-hmm. Jill Jolene Perinello Davy, right? Yep, and Darren Gabbard. Yep. Okay, so what this case was brought to my attention by a Facebook friend. So that friend was looking through a list that she had described in her Facebook post that's um, called Missing in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And she said that's where she sees, she just happened out of curiosity to look through a list called Missing in Michigan. And she happens to see her friend Jill listed. Jill, um, Jolene Perinello Davy. And for the next few days, I see her posting on Facebook, like, please, for her friend to contact her, like, Jill, you're a badass bitch. You know, I know that if, you know, if you can try to get away, I know nobody, you're too strong for someone to have you, you know, kidnapped. Try to get to a phone, try to contact somebody, you know, you know, we're looking for you. Don't give up hope. We're looking for you. And then she, my Facebook friend posts the article that Jill was found. Mm Mm-hmm. And you said you were searching for something specific in Michigan for the podcast, and that's how you saw the case with Joe? Yeah. Drownings. Okay. Oh, you're looking for Yeah, so I wrote on your... So two bodies had been pilled. Pilled. No, they weren't. Yeah. I mean, they could have been pilled. They could. We knew they were drinking at the bar, though. <laughs> <laughs> the two bodies were pulled from a submerged car in Lake Erie off, off the coast of Ohio. Jill, who was 50, and Darren Paul Gabbard, who was 48, were found together in a white... 
2004-2005 Malibu. Jill is from Manchester, Michigan. Darren's from Allen Park, Michigan. Their car had been rented from an Econo Lodge in Manchester the night before they went missing. And the car was rented Friday the 16th. They reported missing Saturday the 17th. So far, so good? You know what's so funny? Yeah? Is that this is where you really can tell that every news station gets something different. Okay. So, I have that the they were last seen 10.30 p.m. August 17th. Yeah. Leaving the Econo Lodge, which is actually, in the articles I read, a hotel in Monroe, Michigan, and their stuff was still there. Well, you know, I bet it's something like when people say Ipsy or Arbor and they get them confused. I would believe the stuff is still there. Because they said they rented it from the Econo Lodge. And this one said Manchester, but I would believe, yeah, you're right. It's interesting. So police were led to the Toledo Beach mm-hmm. Marina in Ohio by following their cell phone records. Okay. Mm-hmm. And after launching a sonar boat, the car was located. And the two missing people had been at the bar near the marina, like right by the marina. And the police say it looked like they accidentally drove in the water. And their cell phones shut down around 1 a.m., like at the same time. That's one of the reasons that made me think that they went in the water together. On Saturday, when they became waterlogged, and police were unable to determine who was driving because nobody was seatbelted in, so they're both floating in the car. So you can't tell. I didn't get that. I didn't see that. Yeah. Wow. It's believed that Jill and Darren had met online, and they were meeting in, the per- in person for the first time tonight. There's, that's yeah. why you got the hotel room. That's why you got the bar. And I think that the police theory is that they got a little shitty-faced at the bar. And you know how you have, like, at a boat launch, how you can, like, drive into the water to drop your... Not, you don't drive the car, but you back the boat in. Mm-hmm. They think that it might, that might be so how they got is, in there. So, and we had <clears throat> talked about that. You know, yeah. one, you had said once, you know, you get in there, you can't get out until you're fully submerged. When by your car goes in the water, yeah. can't, too panicked, you're, you don't get out. Yeah. And I looked at this story like, seriously, I've been there. Yeah. I've been in that area. Yeah. Like... You're like you. You drove. You drove into the water. Eh. Like you drove. Yeah. Well, they're not um, from Ohio, like you. It doesn't matter. They're drunk. It doesn't matter. They might be fucked up. They were really jacked up then. Have like, you ever seen? Well, I, mean, I was married on. to an alcoholic, so I've okay. seen levels of drunk. Maybe you don't know are real. <laughs> yeah, I probably don't, but I just think, oh my god, really? And then I and then I just took it. I took okay, all that aside. Yeah. I thought this is this is why you don't online date. Uh-huh, yeah. Like you you met somebody uh-huh. and they and he's a bad driver and, he and did, come on he's such a bad driver chance, you die. Yeah, and I'm thinking you know <laughs> I'm just thinking me you know when I go out yeah you know my boyfriend drives yeah so I'm thinking that okay they're on a date uh-huh. so he's driving maybe and I'm assuming it I'm assuming yeah so I'll, I'll say that and. It's like, okay, your date just murdered you, Lord mercy. I mean, yeah. it's so sad. Or either way, maybe his date accidentally murdered him. Yeah. I would say or it's involuntary she... manslaughter. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean, it's a really sad story. Yeah, but I'm just thinking, story. wow. I like, felt so bad for my friend because you told that she was really devastated yeah. when she was missing, and then when she was found, it was just a different devastation. So I have another story about a Michigan woman being found. This one I don't think you did. But this is Olivia Rossi. So Olivia Rossi went missing around 1 a.m. on Tuesday, August 20th. So this is literally like around the same time as the, you know, other lady going missing. Mm-hmm. August 20th, 2019. So she had left What's her... What's up with August and missing people? people. Well, she's found. 
Yeah, but still was missing at some she point. She was missing, yeah. She had left her ho- her town home in Westland, Michigan, walking toward a, um, a meeting with a high school friend that she would occasionally date, this dude. So she was texting with friends and her twin sister, which I'm like, that always makes me feel extra horrible, terrible when they had a twin who died. Yeah. Um, and her, her twin is Raquel Rossi. So Olivia texted that she's heading to Cooper Upper Elementary School to meet with their mutual friend. And then Olivia, so this whole time, you know, she's texting. Olivia then sent out a text message. That is so loud. <laughs> so a text message, that's okay. That the unnamed friend was acting weird. Okay, and one article that I read, one article said she texted her sister to say that he was carrying a knife. But only one article said that. And I always have a hard time when they, I don't see, you know, when it's just one Yeah, article. when it's only one article, yeah. you can't confirm it. And then all of a sudden, communication stopped from her altogether. So she's like, hey, he's acting weird. One of the articles say, I think he has a knife, and then that's it. Olivia's siblings posted flyers on their Facebook pages and their search for her, and they described her appearance and provided pictures of her and their efforts to find her. And the flyers talk about her being last seen walking around Ann Arbor Trail in Middle Belt. And Olivia was less than two weeks away from her 24th birthday. For some reason, it always fucks me up if they're about to have a birthday and die. I know it really means nothing, but it does to me for some reason. And she was found uh, in Heinz Park on Friday, August 23rd, 2019. Around 4 p.m. on the 23rd, the police were called to a dead body partially submerged in a pond that was in the park. And it was Olivia, and she had been the victim of a murder. So the man who was with Olivia at the time of her disappearance had been taken into custody. Now, I see in all these articles, they repeatedly say the police have picked him up, he's in custody, but never that he was charged with anything, and I couldn't find anything past that. Now, we're recording, and it's just a couple days past. Yeah, so... So, it, it might be still some more. So, but according to her twin sister, Raquel, this is only according to Raquel, so don't sue me for libel, okay? He confessed to meeting Olivia at the school, and the unnamed man... Kills her there. He admits to killing her there and then dumping her body in the park. But the police are not releasing his name at the time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll so we'll have that, to follow up on that. We will. And I just thought, um, everybody talks about, like, oh, yeah, I'm in custody. So the other one I want to do is some Jane Doe's. And you know I like my Jane Doe's to be found who they are. Yep. So there's no fucking cliffhangers here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I really don't like, like, I like to watch current um, unsolved mysteries because when you watch it now it goes back and tells you that they caught them oh okay it does the updates that. and i watched one that had two fucking updates i was like update update oh. because it was like update and this happened but guess what update this happened and i was just like this is awesome oh my god best day ever <laughs> okay so i have uh jane doe her name is darlene mckenzie so darlene mckenzie was 15 years old in 1975 good year she, uh, when she argued with her mom, and then she leaves the house. And we've all been arguing with a 15-year-old. At 15, my daughter, who is normally a good kid, went like 100% evil and was just on fire all the time. My favorite story to tell about how you knew, I knew she was evil is one time she said something, something to me. I said, what? And all of a sudden, she just bitched me out at an 11. And I just looked at her, I'm like, I can't even uh. say fucking what without having to hear from you. She was like, No. <laughs> Devil be gone. Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. But here we are talking about Darlene. So Darlene lived on the west side of Detroit, and she left the house walking. That's basically all, any, all anybody knows. Later, Darlene did call home, 
and she did talk to somebody in the house, but there wasn't any contact with Darlene after that. She was never seen again. So Darlene had just given birth to a daughter who was just a couple months old. And that daughter, Carlita, has spent her entire adult life looking for her mother. Because when she's a couple months old, her mom gets mad at her because her mom's only 15, goes for a walk and is never seen again. Mm -hmm. So Darlene's mother, Doris Leverett, went out driving around and looking for her daughter's daughter in the 70s, but never found her. Now, the Detroit police were not able to find a missing report on Del Darlene over 40 years later, but Dar Doris couldn't remember if she did one. And do you remember, we did a different one where a guy in Michigan, his mom and sister, tried to report him missing in the 80s, and they never filed a report. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe that happened too. Mm -hmm. And on June 10th, 1975, employees of Farmington Hills Poli um, Department of Public Works found a female body off of the expressway 696 east of Haggerty Road. Uh, she's off east, uh, sorry, 696 east off of Haggerty Road. And she'd been murdered. The public was interested in the case and the discovery was run on the news. I mean, this is 1975, right? So you get on the nightly news, maybe in the newspaper, and then that's it, right? So, however, nobody's able to identify her and a blood sample was taken and about a month later, she was buried as a Jane Doe in a graveyard in Pontiac. So according to police chief Chuck Nor uh, Norris. Wow. So, Woo! Talk, so Walker, right Texas, Walker, Texas Ranger <laughs> actually worked in Michigan. No, that's <laughs> okay. His name was not Chuck Norris. <laughs> that was so great. I love that. Love and it. the look on your face was like, fuck it. Like, what? Really? <laughs> that's a twist. <laughs> Chuck Nevis. <laughs> <laughs> Every few years, the case would be looked at with the DNA from the blood being uploaded to NamUs. And NamUs is the National Missing and Unidentified Person Systems. It's the database for missing people. So Carlita Ransom, which is the um, Darlene's daughter, who was a couple months old when she left, mm -hmm. and Doris Leverett, which is Darlene's mom. Uh, so... Uh, I, I explained it better when I wrote it down. I'm like, <laughs> Carlina Ransom and Doris Levitt, Darlene's daughter and mother. <laughs> Way better. Uh, are, they're still waiting to find Darlene. They contacted the police in 2015. Then they were able to file a missing police's report because they said, she's like, I've been looking for my mom. I'm 30 years old or 40 years old in 2015. I, you know, I would like, I'm, I've been looking for my mom my whole life. And the police officer are like, oh, we don't even have a missing file, a person on file. They're like, okay, let us file it. And the police are like, okay, now that we have this filed, here's our, here's the steps that we can take to try to find her. So there was a possible um, match between the women and a blood sample from the Farmington Hills Jane Doe in 2016. Because remember, they did take the blood sample before they buried her in 1975. So somebody was forward thinking in Michigan in mm -hmm. 1975. Yeah, right? yeah. So in October 2016, the Jane Doe body was exhumed for further testing and confirmation because, you know, the, the 75 samples degraded. So by December, it is confirmed that the young woman found in Farmington Hills was Darlene McKenzie. So she was killed in, like, well, she was found in June. They think maybe killed around December. Hmm. Carlita's new quest is looking for her mother's killer. So she's like, okay, my, my mom died. Now who killed her? Yep. So it's believed that Darlene was killed in Detroit in June of 1975. Police believe that her body was brought to Farmington Hills to be dumped. Crime Stoppers of Michigan is offering a $2,500 reward for any information leading to the arrest of Darlene's killer. 
And this is one of those ones I know you might think because so much time has passed, they might not find who did it. But I think it actually will help to find who was. Like, because maybe you were afraid to say that your friend had done this mm -hmm. back in 1975. But now he's like 84 years old and you're not scared of him anymore. Yeah. Or whatever. Or he's dead. Or, yeah, or he's dead or yeah. something. So I'm hoping that that'll help. So I have another one. This is the Strongsville Jane Doe. Another Strongsville? It's in Michigan. Uh, well, this is Strongsville. Actually, I'm wrong. Ohio. Okay. Here. Yep. <laughs> I like that. You're and holding your hand see, up. I'm holding my hand up and below By your wrist. wrist. <laughs> it's over here. And it's another I, 1975. I can't even, I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't, I'm sorry. Yeah? I can't even believe you're doing an Ohio case. Let me just... Well, actually... <laughs> you're like, fan me. Yeah, I'm fanning myself. I'm like, more. I cannot. I'm going to pass out. Please, go on. I'm interested. So sorry. Okay. But this is another 1975 case. So, obviously, 1975 wasn't just a good year for me. It was a bad year for women in general. <laughs> in March of 1975, three boys hiking in Strongsville, Ohio, found a skeleton sticking out of the mud alongside the Rocky River. The skeleton was missing most of its flesh and the lower portion of the jaw. So, you know how our jaw hinges? Mm -hmm. Gone. When the skeleton was removed from the environment, so that when they took it out of the mud, that's when they see that there's a bullet hole in the side of the skull. The bones were identified as belonging to a Caucasian female who was around the age 20 at the time of her death. And little else is cataloged regarding the skeleton, which is buried in a pauper's grave at Potter's Field in Cleveland. So Chris, and her name is, I'm going to say Skates. It's S-C-A-T-E-S. She was 23 years old in 2014 when she began working on a family genealogy project. My cousin Brandy's so into that. She's, she'll be like, the McWhirters in Scotland, and like, tell me something about one of my ancestors. <laughs> in the cemetery index, um, Christina saw a listing for unknown white female bones. And she identifies with this victim because they're about the same age, early 20s. They're from the same area. They're in the same area. And Christina couldn't stop thinking about the Jane Doe. So Christina begins cold calling local police posts, trying to find information about the case. Christina finally finds Lieutenant Don Silvis, who was a Cleveland Park Ranger for the area in which the body was found. But he's a current one, right? Mm -hmm. So Don sent Christina all the information he had on the case. She's like, can you send me any info? And he literally just sent the entire file to her. Like, here, here's, our, here's the info we have. Copies, I'm sure, right? So then she uploads all that information into Reddit's Unsolved Mysteries, because they have Unsolved Mysteries under Reddit, mm -hmm. and websleuths.com that you I told me about. That. Yeah. yeah, And that's when Carl Kopelman, who was a forensic artist, saw the Jane Doe evidence, and Christina asked Carl if he'd scratch, scratch, not even a fucking word. <laughs> it's not even a real word. If you would sketch, it is now. sketch, I don't know what word I was going to go for, sketch the face of the Strongsville doe. And he was hesitant at first because her teeth on the top, some teeth were missing. Her whole lower jaw is missing. Her mandible's gone. She has no hair to use for coloring. So he doesn't have like a lot of reference points. Mm -hmm. There's no eyebrows to use for coloring. There's no skin. There's nothing, right? But he starts to chip away at it little by little. And he just accepts the challenge. And he's like, fine, we're doing this. Well, so while working on the Strongsville Doe case, Doe case, Carl contacts Angie Fisher. Angie Fisher works for missing person cases in Catahoga, Catahoga, you're from 
Ohio County, about another Jane Doe. So in the conversation, he, Carl asks Angie about the Strongsville case. And Angie looks into the NamUs, which is the National Missing and Unidentified Person System that we talked about in the last um, Jane Doe. Angie then enters there in, right? And she's like, wait a minute, she's not even in here. The This Jane Doe is not even in the NamUs. And she's like, okay, she immediately corrects it. Months later, Sergeant Jeff Smith from the Akron Police Department was working on cold cases. One of the oldest cases was that of a 17-year-old girl named Linda Pagan, Pagano, P-A-G-A-N-O. Linda had been reported missing in September of 1974 when her stepdad claimed she left home after an argument with him. Jeff was guided by Angie Fisher to upload information. Angie's uh, so Angie tells Jeff now, why don't you put Linda's information into Namus? And she's already put the Strongsville Doe information into Namus. And then they immediately match each other. So Angie Fisher does everything, basically, in Ohio. She's killing it in there. Yeah, she's killing it. The time frame in which the body was found matched Linda. The composite made by Carl Kopelman looks very similar to Linda's photos. Dental records were compared. The Strongsville, uh, Strongville's doe body was exhumed and DNA was extracted. And that DNA was then compared to Linda's family members, like her brother, Michael Pagano. It was confirmed that Linda was the Strongsville doe. Wow. Linda's stepfather, Byron Clayfin, was the last person to see her and was considered by the police to be a person of great interest. But he died in 1990. Linda's mother died in 2012 before finding out the fate of her daughter. Oh. And Linda's remains are going to be put to rest next to her mother in the Holy Cross Cemetery. I, I didn't put, her brother kept talking about how, you know, he missed his sister so much. And then one day, she, you know, she just disappears. She's 17 and he's like, I don't know, like 12 or 14 or something. And mm-hmm. one day his sister just disappears. And he's like, I bet it was my stepdad. I'm like, can you get me uh, sued over saying shit about a dead person? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I wish I was like, a, went to school to be a sketch artist. That I wish I had cool. any kind of sketching talent and, whatsoever. And I didn't realize that we could just up and call the police post and be like, send me all you got on this cold case. You Why can. are we not doing this? Oh, no, she was and was getting rejected and yelled at and cussed out. And this one dude sent it to her. Yeah, well, why are we doing this? Because I've watched people get rejected and yelled at it and ghosted out. And I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> I have one more Jane Doe. Okay. Tina L. Kavanaugh. Uh, she was a Jane Doe that was discovered outside of Angola, Indiana. I just kept moving. Yeah, you kept moving. <laughs> in September 6, 1999, she was found in a field that has since been turned into a golf course. Okay. Yeah. It was estimated that the body had been at that location for about six to eight weeks to the, due to the comp, um, decomposition. Due to the degradation of the body, the medical examiner at the Northeast Indiana Forensic Center couldn't determine the exact cause of death, but instead ruled it as highly suspicious. Mm-hmm. So, like, if she was choked or something, all the tissue's gone, you can't tell. Yeah. Throughout the years, police have been trying to identify her remains, including the use of NamUs, which we've already talked about. In, 20, in 2007, in 2018, the DNA of Jane Doe was uploaded to the Parabon Nanolabs, a genetic matching site, and then there were three possible matches to a fifth or sixth cousin. Wow. So the police then used more traditional methods. So they got it down to like these five or six people. Traditional methods of whittling down the list of matches, like basically cold calling people. 
So one woman in Georgia remembers a family member going missing in the 1990s from Michigan. And she provided a phone number that led to another woman, woman that was the sister Tina Cavanaugh. Okay, hold on. Yeah. What year did she... She goes missing... Yeah, but what year yeah. did this lady give that phone number? Like, around what year? When did she get called? Yeah, when did she get called and gave the 2018. Police? Who has a phone number uh, the same from 2005? Oh, no, she doesn't. So, they get it down to, like, five or six people, and then the police just look them up in, like, the white pages oh, okay. and start calling those people, like, hi, it's the oh, police department. Yeah. Well, this one lady in Georgia goes, I had a family member in Michigan go missing. Try yeah. calling this woman. And the woman she says is Tina's sister, right? So Tina L. Cavanaugh, who was 36 years old when she was reported missing, was from the Detroit area. She had a daughter, Jessica Galagos, who was 16 years old when her mom disappeared. And to me, that was heartbreaking when you're 16. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you want your mom to die every now and then when you're 16 because you hate her so bad. But um, not really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? You know, you just yell those things at her. Yeah, you don't mean them. When she's basically like cock-blocking you or something. <laughs> and, but you don't really want her to die. You're just really super mad at her. You're a hormonal teenager. But um, Tina's sister and her daughter Jessica then provide their DNA. Because remember, they only match like a fifth or sixth cousin. Mm -hmm. And to see if a match would be found, in you know, to the woman in Angola, Indiana... So in July of 2019, 20 years after Tina disappeared and a Jane Doe was found, her identity is confirmed. Tina's daughter Jessica is quoted as saying, I did I did like a part of the quote um, because I just felt bad. She's just, okay, here's her quote. Okay. I have searched for her every year, but my hopes of finding her alive are crushed. There is some good for the, from the closure. I don't have to search for her anymore, end oh. quote. I'm like, ow! In my feelings, my feelings. It was so hurt. It was so hurt. Hmm. All right, now I'm going to do these um, funny movie reviews that I thought you might like. Here's the first one. Transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets and then teams up with three strangers to kill again. Okay. That's Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> now you and I both like Wizard of Oz. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. That is actually true. Yeah, that's she true. She did kill the first person and then teams up with three dudes yep. and kills another person. That is very true. Like, wipes, she's a, um, what is it? Is it parasite when you kill family, close family members or whatever? Uh, here's true. one for another movie. It's the movie Bulletproof Monk. It said, I'm not familiar with the Bulletproof Monk comic book that sparked this movie, but that is because I have known the soft caress of a woman and am thus excluded from the target demographic. <laughs> okay, this is the movie Geely with Jennifer Lopez. It says, famous philosophers Bell, Biff, and DeVoe once stated, quote, never trust a big butt and a smile, end quote. I should have listened to them. This movie is indeed poison. <laughs> that girl is poison. Okay. So, here we go. This is for Chop Kick Panda. And it's a... <laughs> It's a Kung Fu Panda ripoff. Okay. It says, I am more offended by the fact that NF thought, and I'm going to say, I think that NF is, I don't know, Netflix. NF thought that I would like this, then I would be if a homeless man grabbed my crotch on the train. 
announced that the two of us were to be married and then successfully argued in court that said a proclamation <laughs> constitutes a verbal contract. Furthermore, if I were to marry a aforementioned bum and subsequently be cheated on multiple times by my four same-sex partner, I would still be less offended by that than I am by the fact that NF thought I would like this. <laughs> If God himself came down to earth and announced to the world that I am the creation he is least proud of, including Lucifer, and I am the one and I am to walk earth for the eternity of the express purpose of demonstrating to the rest of creation what happens when you have the misfortune of being a loathsome, wretched creature so hideous that you are an affront to the creator... I would be less offended than I am than by the fact that NF thought I would like this. <laughs> I gotta watch this movie. This dude had some time and some anger. And I'm like, if this movie's that bad. Oh, I gotta watch it. Me too. You know I love horrible movies. My, yeah, I'm like, oh my God. It cannot be that bad. For me, the less the better. I mean, oh, the worse shit. the better. The worse the better. Okay. Connect with us at Michigan Another Mayhem. Oh, you've been listening to Michigan Another Mayhem. With Allie. And Jen. And anybody... Oh, fuck. Where's that come from? Connect oh, with you us. know what? Yeah. We should just say, hey. The we league? Got, we got a Teespring account. Oh, we have a Teespring account. And we have merchandise. And we have merchandise. And you can get and the picture of Jen chasing me through a dark alley with a knife. Yep. And so I'm, we're going to throw that link out and everybody should check it out. Yes, that's a great idea. And, and then, we should activate that link on YouTube and people can click on it and give us money if they feel bad for us being broke. Yeah, that could we should be. Do that. All so, right, and that's great. Yeah, connect with us at michiganandothermayhem.com to join the conversation, listen to the podcast, access show notes, find site links, or correct us when necessary. Rate subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Anchor, and YouTube. Bye-bye now.